Are you hoping to someday land your dream job? Well, what if I told you that it is time to let go of that dream job delusion and instead strive for a job that is actually fulfilling in the ways that matter? This week, we are getting real about how to be happy at work no matter where you are on your career journey. A warm welcome to Hannah P., Roberto H., and Lynette M. to the Modern Manager community. Today's guest is Lauren McGoodwin. Lauren is the CEO of Career Contessa, an online career resource with content, career coaching, jobs, a salary database, and online training. She is also a speaker and author of Power Moves and host of the Career Contessa podcast. Lauren and I talk about the myth of the dream job and what you actually should be seeking, which is the good enough job. We get into three factors that contribute to happiness at work, what managers can do to support their team members who are struggling, and so much more. Now here's the conversation. Are you a manager, boss, or team leader who aspires to level up and unleash your team's full potential? You're listening to the Modern Manager Podcast, and I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Each week, I explore effective strategies and provide actionable insights that supercharge your management abilities, optimize team performance, and foster a healthy workplace culture. Become a rockstar manager and help your team thrive at themodernmanager.com slash more. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lauren. Super excited to talk to you today about happiness and dream jobs and all those things that we want out of our career because we're working hard every day. So thank you for coming on and chatting with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's maybe start with this idea of the dream job because I think it's something at least I've always thought about and, and probably many people who are listening have thought about what does our dream job look like and what are we aspiring to in our career? So can you maybe bust this myth about the dream job and put me in my place? Yeah. And I will say I have a very passionate feeling about this, which is I hate the phrase dream job. I totally understand why we all fall into the trap of one, believing that they exist to getting on the hamster wheel, chasing them down, feeling this shame if we don't have them. But the reality is that a dream job, similar to a dream partner who's going to fulfill and check every box of your life, it doesn't exist. And so what I find is for a lot of people, there's this mental shift that has to happen before they really do anything in their career, which is accept the fact that the dream job doesn't exist. And I get where we got there. It, But the problem is when we imagine our dream job, it never includes hellish commutes bad bosses, a coworker who took credit for your work. And so what happens is we basically set ourselves up for these very unrealistic expectations. And then we get into a real workplace and we're like, why is this something what I thought it was going to be? I work really hard. There must be something wrong with me. How can I just turn myself into a DIY project? And if I fix me, it will fix everything else. And you can see how this cycle can be extremely unhealthy. And so, you know, I'm not a fan, like I said, of the phrasing land your dream job, find your dream job, because I also think that's very much connected to a fixed mindset. Fixed mindset, one of the hardest things about it is being able to switch gears when things aren't going the way you want them to. I would much rather be part of the mindset of having a growth mindset, which is being open to other opportunities, being open to the way things could go. My friend told me the other day, we were talking about something, she goes, it might turn out in a way that's better than you could have even imagined. Like that's a growth mindset, 100%. And so what I would encourage people to do instead of striving for this dream job is instead strive for the good enough job. And the good enough job is really a job that doesn't ask you to give your entire life for the job. It really allows you to have life and work and find places where you can connect those thoughts and, and where can you check some of the boxes, but you're not going to check every box and your expectation isn't going to be that as well. I feel like when I was little, 
it was always find your passion. You know, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day. And that, that has resonated in the sense of like the dream job should be the thing that doesn't feel like work. And do you think that there are parts of the dream job myth that we could hold on to without kind of holding on to the whole of it? Or does it really feel like we need to just kind of get rid of that entire concept and totally shift to a new one? No, I absolutely do. I think there, there, there's probably some good parts, like telling someone to figure out what you're passionate about isn't necessarily bad advice. The problem is then we go through this advice of like, again, we become too narrow-minded where it's like, okay, I can only do something that I'm passionate about and anything else doesn't isn't going to cut it. Whereas what I tell people is I'm like, instead of finding what you're passionate about, find what gives you a lot of energy and maybe pursue your passion project on the side, right? It's very hard to turn your passion into the thing that you're paid for, similar to a lot of people who do side hustles or they do something creative and then they try to monetize it. It kind of sucks the joy out of that, right? So I don't think that you can't have any of those components. I think we just need to shift our expectations around what those components are. When people come to me and they're like, I'm looking for my dream job. I never tell them you're going to get everything. I tell them, what are your top three priorities that you want in your next job? You know, that is something that we can target, in, you know, hone in on as a target company or a target job for you. Thinking about what's your purpose? Can you find a company that aligns with some of the values you have? Sure. But you're never going to find one that's 100%. Even if you are an entrepreneur, you're not going to find that. I think yes is the the short answer to your question. But the long answer is that yes, and we need to make sure we're managing our expectations. I'm thinking about like the the good enough being like nobody wants to work for a toxic boss or a bad boss, yeah. right? Like we should just like, does that even need to go on the list of things that I want <laughs> in my next job? Or can we just like say, all right, everyone deserves to work for a good boss. Everyone does deserve to work for a good boss and and good bosses are a little tough to find. But also your definition of a good boss might be different than my definition of a good boss. You know, I might love a micromanager and you hate a micromanager. You might hate someone who's really hands off because it feels like they're elusive and don't care about you where I'm like, hey, that's great because I get full autonomy to do my own thing. So I also think that everyone's definition of a good and bad boss is it's really unique. Yeah. Well, everyone who's listening who's a micromanager is like, yes, thank you for validating me that it's okay. Finally, someone on our side. (laughs) Well, let's talk about this good enough job because, you know, for some of us who tend to lean towards some perfectionism sometimes, the idea of anything just being good enough feels like not enough. So can you kind of walk through a little more of how we can really feel good about having a job that is good enough? Yeah, I think of a good enough a job as being something that's really practical, not perfect. So for all the perfectionists out there that you just mentioned, who maybe are really struggling with their word good enough, because they think it's um, selling out or giving up or anything like that. I don't think that's the case. I think it's being very practical about it. And again, kind of managing those expectations. So for me, a couple arguments for the good enough job or that or that, you know, it's going to give you time and mental space to focus on your passions off the clock. Again, you know, the advice to follow your passion. What about do your passion on the side. It's going to take your career out of tunnel vision, right? So um, the good enough job isn't that dream job that you threw your entire career toward getting to that corner office. And now it's the only thing you should want. And if you want anything different, you just have to block out those feelings, right? It, it allows you some freedom with that. Some other arguments uh, for why the good enough job is, is a good thing is it's going to take a little bit of the pressure off. Um, you know, one of the things I like to think about is like when you were in school, Sometimes you knew when your homework didn't need to be A plus 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 work. Sometimes you were like, this is this is good enough work for what this project is. And 
when you're in your dream job where you, everything has to be perfect all the time, you're that perfectionist, you basically hold yourself to an impossible standard that you can't keep. And so a good enough job lets you, again, have a little bit more clarity about like, okay, what are the urgent and important priorities that really need my dedication? What are the things I can kind of let slide right now? And I'm okay with that, right? So that's a whole uh, or another reason for an argument for the good enough job. Another one is that it gives you clarity. You're able to see your workplace as a place that provides you with a living. It's easier to say no to things, call out inequities, leave if the environment becomes toxic. If you are in your quote dream job and you worked forever to be there, you might feel like you have to put up with some bad behavior or toxic workplace um, you know, behavior because you're like, but I work so hard to get here. I can't leave here now. And I'm a millennial and I feel like I was part of the generation that was sold hardcore, the, the this like dream job thing of like, find the dream job, commit your entire life to it. It will be there for you. And we all saw during COVID, like those jobs let people go so quickly. So, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I was the person who worked for a tech company at you know, 26, 27, and it was my entire life. I did not have a life outside of work. It was my identity. And so a good enough job really helps to mitigate that. Because let me tell you, as someone who's been on the other end, that's a really, um, you know, it's like smacking your face on the pavement. Very, very, very hard. <laughs> and it's it's not fun. And then lastly, I would say it gives you space to be human. You know, um, some horror stories that we've gotten about, you know, micromanager bosses or hostile workplaces, sexism, racism, microaggressions, they all have us, you know, checking emails at 2 a.m., that kind of stuff. The good the good enough job is the way out of that. It allows you space to be human, to have your mental health day, to say, I don't answer emails after five. And for people who have ever felt really burnt out or felt like, again, like they can't not check email when they're on a vacation, that kind of thing, that's when you start to not have the healthiest relationship with work. Good enough job also want to make sure people understand it doesn't mean that you are taking a step down or doing something lesser than it really just means that you are trying to also be practical about like, hey, I have a life too. And there's other things that are important to me besides work. And I need to keep a healthy perspective on what that work is. Um, and I, I think that just truly the, the phrasing and the wording of good enough job versus dream job can can help people a lot with that. You know, it's so funny when you're talking because I'm thinking, wow, everything you just described as this good enough job is actually the dream job. And all of these things about the dream job are so horrifying, right? That like you work so hard and then you find out that it's not actually what you wanted or anticipated or thought would be. It requires things of you that you're not really up for doing and, right. and but you're not willing to let go either because you have the concept that is so unrealistic. But one thing I will say, dream jobs usually come with some part of them. So I, I love the uh, metaphor like glitter and glue and every career has the glitter parts, which is like probably your highlight reel that you put on Instagram and LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff and the glue, the parts that maybe you don't see behind the scenes, but they truly keep the career going good enough job is going to be more glue than it is glitter. Dream job is going to be like you work in a really cool building that you get to, you know, take photos of and show everybody. You work for a big branding company that everyone is in awe is over. You've got this fancy job title, right? It's these these outward things that on the outside seem really important. And those usually go along with the dream job. Whereas the, the good enough job might be working in a really simple office space, you know, that isn't fancy and work for a company that people at a cocktail party haven't all heard of, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. All right. Well, let's shift for a little bit and talk about what it's like as a manager to create an environment that is really 
designed for the good enough so that we can kind of create those boundaries or help our colleagues set those boundaries to not have to work all the time. Can you share a little bit about your experience or, or your thoughts on how, like the role of managers in creating those good enough spaces? Yeah, I think a lot of, I've said the word expectations a lot, right? So I, I, I truly believe that for managers setting very realistic expectations, creating some structure ahead of time, so you're addressing things before there are problems. So for example, um, sitting down with your team and saying, how does everyone prefer to be communicated with? Here are Here's how we communicate on this team. If it's urgent, you do it this way. If it's not urgent, you do it that way. Um, we slack when it's like this. We like I and this might just be my management style or the one that I like, but I love a manager who's so proactive and sort of says, I'm gonna let's, you know, come up with like what are the values of our team, what's the communication style of people on our team, and let's like create this structure together. Let's let's sit down and kind of come up with this. I think that mitigates problems down the road. Um, it allows some buy-in from the team mem- member. So it's not just the manager saying, this is what I prefer and you're all just going to you know, um, change your ways to, to fit that. I think managers who are great communicators allow, like, can help create a good enough job um, environment because part of dream job you know, might be the fact that you're expected to work all the time. So there's that communication piece that's missing. Like maybe that isn't their expectation. Maybe you put that expectation on yourself. And also I think the biggest piece of it is leading by example. So the manager of who's trying to create this good enough job environment, you know, be realistic. Okay. It's not rocket science. I don't need you to actually be working on this on Christmas day, or this is actually really important. And here's why. And here's how it's going to add impact to our team. So that those type of communication styles. The other thing we know about like what drives happiness at a, at a workplace, there's three things. It's the people you work with, having some t- type of autonomy. So, you know, micromanagers obviously aren't probably going to get an A plus on that. But, you know, uh, there is such a thing as getting too much autonomy where it feels like your manager doesn't care about you at all. Um, and then a purpose. So again, setting those values or having a common purpose or mission that you and your team are aligned on, those things really help people to be happier in their job. And when they are happier and they feel safe and they have environments of trust, they're going to feel like they can say no, that they can have boundaries that are respected, that they can have a life outside of work and it's okay. Hey there, Mamie here. Just a quick and exciting update for all of you who are enjoying the Modern Manager podcast. The Modern Manager membership community is getting a minor makeover, and it is now called the Podcast Plus Membership. And you can sign up for it and join a community of managers determined to do better every day. You'll get full access to our Slack channel, sketch notes with key takeaways from each episode, all types of guest bonuses, and the members-only podcast, which is ad-free and has extended interviews. So you get to hear the answers to my juiciest questions without interruptions like this one. Sign up today for $15 per month at themodernmanager.com slash more. Can't wait to see you there. I'm thinking too, like as a manager, right, your team members may think that this is their dream job or may be wanting to aspire someday to their dream job. And part of what your job is, is to help them see the value of the job that they're in, right? That this this current place, even if it's not their forever place, can really meet a lot of their their needs. Could you maybe give us an example of a client that you've worked with or even a story from your own life of kind of coming to this conclusion or kind of getting to that space where you're kind of letting go of all the shiny and, and, and like accepting the glue and the value that the glue is bringing? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I had a friend who she was a client, but she was also a friend. She was a friend first who became kind of a coaching client. And I was working with her and she was working in her quote dream job. She was working as a recruiter at a big known name uh, tech company. And that's what she wanted. She had come up through agencies and worked hard. Recruiting was the only thing she ever wanted to do. And she got there and she was basically on call all the time. There was no life outside work. She was the person where they were constantly asking her to take on this project, take on that project. It was getting to a point where it was just, it was too much. Like you can see the writing on the wall with these kind of things where you're like, you work so hard to get into that room, but now you're in the room and you have to constantly prove yourself prove that you deserve to be in the room. And so it was this this thing where I was like, this is not good for your mental health. This isn't good for your confidence, not to mention like, you're not even really using the skill set that you wanted. So we started talking about if she were to find another job, what would it be? She was like, I can't even imagine leaving this job because I've worked so hard to be here. Um, so it was a huge mental shift to first get to that place. Next, it was about, okay, what is it that you want to do next? And what company actually like, what are your values? And how can we actually align what is important to you with where you go and work next. One thing that she really, really wanted to do was work for a place that had impact. She was working for a big tech company and she was starting to realize like, I don't necessarily agree with like the purpose or the direction it's going. So that was the first thing she wanted to do. And then she also wanted to go back to a place where it was like, I want to be a recruiter. I want to help people in the HR space, being on a people team that allowed her to maybe have some of those projects, but not necessarily (laughs) take on things so far outside of the scope. So I think the first step for her was really taking a step back and getting some clarity on what it is that she wanted, getting okay with the fact that like, okay, you're going to leave this and your identity is not tied, like your self-worth is not tied to this. You know, if you go to a cocktail party and you're no longer yada yada recruiter at this company, that's okay. And people aren't going to think less of you or anything like that. She actually ended up going to work like through a network connection um, of somebody, they were looking for a head of people and culture for a nonprofit organization that like checked every box for her. It's not a nonprofit that you've heard of. It's, you know, it's a little bit of a transition of the role, but she got all, she's working with amazing people. She's doing something that was aligned with her purpose and she is full autonomy. She basically is running the team the way she wants. Whereas before she had, whenever they say, said jump, her response was supposed to be how high there was no, you never got to answer no. And so Watching the difference of that, in my new that tech company then did a huge round of layoffs that she probably would have been impacted by. And so not that the timing necessarily is something we can always control, but it was really interesting because it was like, not only was she like giving everything to this dream company, but they probably would have just like, they let her whole team go. They probably would have let her go without even thinking about it like that, you know? And so it was really um, fascinating to kind of watch her just like, blossom in this new role and recognize like, no, this is a dream job more than that ever was, even though on paper, maybe that one looks better or sounded better. You talked about like the people that we work with and how important they are. And I feel like as a manager, like that is one of the things that we have really direct control over, right? Like we get to choose who is on our team usually, right? Um, And sometimes you have people on your team who are not quite there, right? Yeah, like, yeah you inherit some bad apples. Yeah, and, <laughs> and like, and, and it's hard sometimes because you're like, well, they're not doing anything that's so bad that I need to fire them. Right. But they're just, it's just not making this team dynamic a place that makes everyone feel like, yes, I love working with my colleagues. Do you have any thoughts about how we can tap into like that, that aspect of creating that 
solid team, that solid group of people? Yeah, this is a good question because I always think about the people that are the highest performers on the team. It's not necessarily that the whole team is high performing, right? So like what I've noticed is that high performing teams are actually teams that are there like supporting each other. They have trust. It's not like one person's like carrying the whole team. And so when you talk about like the people you work with, it's like, how can you hire people that create impact wherever they go and our team players, not just like I'm out for myself to be the best I can be. Obviously, there's interview questions that you can ask people about, you know, when there's a time when, you know, you weren't the top performer on your team, like, how did you help the team be successful? Are you always a top performer? You know, like kind of getting an, an idea of what their personality type is. Liz Weissman wrote this great book called Impact Players. And one of the things that they learned about impact players is that they they do the job that's needed, not the job that's necessarily their own. And it's sort of like a mindset shift of just like a person. So again, going back to those top performers, someone whose ego isn't rooted in like, I need to lead this team because my ego says I have to be the best. I'm going to step into leadership because there's nobody there to do it. But then I'm easily going to step back. And those are the people that you want more on your team are these quote impact players, right? Some other things that they found about impact players is they have this grounded confidence. So again, like I don't have to be the best on the team, but I want to make work light and easy for other people. So that is something I think about for managers to, to think, okay, who are the impact players on your team? How can you support them more, um, get them more involved in like showing people or teaching people the way they think, the way they act, the way they work at work? And then also as a manager, what can you do to help like create an environment that tries to get people to go from being just like high performers or indispensable employees to invaluable employees, these people who make this impact. I think one of the difference between indispensable and invaluable is like invaluable, you keep your job because you're so good. We don't want to lose you. Indispensable is like, we can't afford to lose you. So we're not going to promote you because who's going to do that job. And so how can you create an environment that's very much more about like that impact player? So again, she's, Liz Weissman does a great job in the book talking about these characteristics of um, these people, but one of them is like, they do the job that's needed, not the job that is being asked or that's in their job description. That happens a lot for for managers too, where you're like, I couldn't predict that this was going to happen. And I know it's not in your job description, but how can we still encourage you to want to do the same? Because that's the job that's needed. Um, and then I think that some of this is a personality piece, like I mentioned about that grounded confidence, that ego trying to understand what type of bosses they've had in the past to kind of understand like, well, what management style. Sometimes people become the, the employee that they are because of the bosses they've had. So understanding like what what was your boss's work style or management style before, I think that can be valuable too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many good tips for how we can make sure we're getting people onto our team the right with the right style, the right mindset. And I love that. And something that I see happen so often in teams where like there's always things popping up that need to get done. And not everything can always be in everyone's job description. Sometimes people just like raise their hand and like do what needs to get done and be a team player about it, right? And not not make a big fuss. I'm wondering about the purpose piece here. And like I'm thinking about a client I have who was really struggling with a team member. She's like, I just feel like her heart's not in the job anymore. Like I feel like she just doesn't really align like like conceptually she does but like her the energy she's bringing just feels like she's kind of dispassionate about this work because my job as a manager to now motivate her is my job to like explore with her to help her figure out that this isn't where she wants to be anymore do you have any thoughts on on you know when we feel like a colleague or a team member is just like they're they're 
they're not aligned or their passion or their purpose just isn't connecting anymore? Well, I, yeah, and it sounds like option number two would probably be better, but I would start by asking her, like, you know, is, is your passion or your purpose still in this? Like, are you feeling motivated by this work? So almost like an emotional intelligence check-in, like on a scale of one to 10, how motivated are you by this work? On a scale of one to 10, how stressed out are you about this work? I love when one-on-ones also include kind of that like human component to them versus just being like a status update. So I would use those one-on-ones to almost be like, act like a coach instead of a manager, but act like a, a career coach to her and ask her some questions because you prompting her with those questions, maybe it's going to make her think about things she hasn't thought about yet. And it's maybe going to ideally get her to come to the conclusion on her own. You know, if you're the manager who's like, we need to motivate you and you're not in it, how can we do that? That's that's a tough thing for any human to do. You know, like my husband has this phrase where he's like, people do what they want to do. He always says, he's like, I don't know, because people do what they want. And it's kind of true. You know, people do do what they want to do. So I think spending your time and energy trying to figure out how to motivate that person isn't great. That person is going to have to figure out what intrinsically motivates them and then decide, is that still aligned with what this job is offering or is it not? And I would also make sure that person understands like, it's very okay for your purpose or your values to shift. You know, sometimes the number one spot moves down to number five. I know after I had kids, I felt that way a lot. Like my ambition was changing. It wasn't that my ambition was changing. It was just sort of like the things I valued were changing because I had these other things in my life that I valued a lot. So I think that it's really okay. And I think if you create some some safety around that conversation, you might get some more honest answers. So my tips in a nutshell are like create a safe environment, start by taking a coach um, perspective versus a manager perspective and ask those like emotional intelligent type questions on a scale of one to 10. How are you feeling about this? And maybe let them do some thinking because ultimately you want them to, as a manager, you always want your employees to be very self-directed and be in the driver's seat of their career. But often what happens is they're actually expecting you to drive their career and kind of dictate to them or tell them. That is human because we kind of want to be told like what to do and who we are, but it's sort of taking the easy way out. So you also want to encourage that person like, you know, you are in the driver's seat of your career. Like what is it that you want, you know? And then I guess the only other thing for that manager is like the thing that you can get nitpicky on is the quality of the person's work. You know, if the quality is changing, you're not getting what you want that can, you can give very specific feedback for that. But, you know, otherwise it feels like you're coming out and you're, you know, you're pointing this finger at them and being like, you're not motivated. <laughs> People don't do very well with that. <laughs> no, def- definitely not. Def- don't try that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing as, as managers that we can't be afraid of is like helping someone find a better job for themselves, right? That like, even our people who are really awesome and we're so sad to lose like we have to recognize that this may not be the place for them forever and they might seem totally happy but at the same time be thinking about what's next and we need to help support them to continue to advance in their own career whatever that looks like yeah and i think the best managers are coaches in a way you know they they do know when something needs to be managed versus when something needs or someone needs to be coached and and that's i think what we're talking about in that way like sometimes people outgrow a job or a job outgrows them and and that's okay you know it's gonna happen multiple times in your career too all right last quick question before we have to wrap up so i remember when i was younger the idea of leaving a job like less than a year for sure was like a big no-no. But like 
realistically like three, four, five years was kind of like a standard normal, like, yeah, you're in the job. You really like got your feet grounded and now you're like ready for the next thing. Someone told me recently that now like two years, like if you stay longer than two years, like it's a miracle. <laughs> Is that true? Like as as we're thinking about building our teams and hiring and, and our own roles, like should we be expecting people to, if we're lucky to stay more than two years? Well, currently I just read that the Wall Street Journal had an article about the problem is people aren't leaving their jobs. And so that's actually been an issue for bosses because there isn't been enough turnover. So I think it really depends on the job market, what's happening. Obviously, there's been a lot of layoffs right now. And so people are nervous. So they're saying, you know what, I'm not going to leave my job because searching for a new job seems really hard. I'm with you. The old days where you stayed at a job minimum one year, but three to five was great. I think the two year thing is happening a lot because job hopping is one of the easiest ways to increase your salary, get those job promotions. And there was so much job hopping that was happening in the 21, 22 kind of post COVID time when, when things were getting good, I guess, when a lot of power was in the employees hands that we saw that a lot. So I think the data is skewed a little bit. I, I definitely think that there are plenty of good employees who will stick around longer than two years if you give them a good reason to stick around. You know, people have learned that they are going to always be job searching. They're always going to be open to taking those phone calls and they're not going to be loyal to companies the way they were before. But you know what they will be loyal to is good managers, um, good projects, um, feeling like they are growing and developing. It's it's human nature to to want to feel like you're making progress. And so for managers, if you're not doing that, then yeah, you're going to have to expect higher turnover, I think. Well, and that takes us full circle to as managers, our job is to create that good enough job for our team members while doing it for ourselves at the same time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Don't forget about yourself. I mean, I think so many managers, it's such a tough job because you're usually asked to manage and do a job as well. And so sometimes it doesn't always feel like a promotion, but as managers, you also absolutely deserve the good enough job, you know, and, and to have those realistic expectations put on you with your team, all of that. Yeah. All right. Well, unfortunately, we got to start to wrap up here. So can you tell us about a great manager that you work for and what made this person such a fabulous boss? Yes. So one of my bosses at Hulu, Peter Moore, if you're listening, was fantastic. What made him a great boss is he was a fantastic listener and I knew that he always had my back. He gave me room to stretch, but he was always there to support me. I never felt like I couldn't go to Peter and he wasn't going to sit there and like truly listen and, and help me solve the problem that I needed. But he was always going to make me try to solve it on my own first. And I think that was a really good lesson. And it was a great prequel to becoming a, uh, an entrepreneur running a business where you have to solve all your own problems. <laughs> awesome. And where can people learn more about you, get a copy of your book, keep up with your work? Yeah. So I'm at Lauren the Good One on um, LinkedIn, Instagram, but mostly very active on LinkedIn, um, at Career Contessa on every social media platform instagram we're really active there my book is called power myths you can buy it wherever books are sold and my podcast which um episodes come out every tuesday is called the career contessa podcast so that should be easy for you too yes highly recommend everyone check out your podcast it's awesome well thank you again lauren really a pleasure to have you on today thank you for having me this week lauren is giving away a copy of her book power moves which teaches women how to pivot reboot and build a career of purpose Learn how to use the Power Moves approach to ditch the dream career myth, become your own career coach, and reclaim your life from work. You must be a member of Podcast Plus to enter the drawing, and you must submit your entry by Wednesday, December 27th. 
Members also get the extended interview where Lauren shares her recipe for a powerful one-on-one and she gives you all the questions you need to ask. Plus, she shares her number one tip for every manager. I'm also super excited to announce the totally revamped Skills Accelerator that is launching in January. Based on member feedback, I have totally redesigned the Modern Manager Skills Accelerator to include three live sessions with me each month. A 90-minute workshop, a 60-minute office hours, and a 30-minute accountability call, plus a ton more support and resources. And because I want you to know exactly how this program can support your professional development, I want you to experience it firsthand. So when you sign up in December, you get your first month for only $50. This is 75% off the 2024 pricing. And you have no auto-enrollment, no commitment to continue. If after January you decide it's not for you, you don't have to do a thing. But if you do want to continue, when you enroll, you'll get to pay the 2023 price of $97 a month, which is still 50% off the new 2024 pricing. So head over to themodernmanager.com slash skills accelerator to learn more about the Skills Accelerator program, how it can help advance your skills and get your first month at 75% off when you enroll before December 31st. To get all the guest bonuses and the extended interview, become a member of Podcast Plus or the Skills Accelerator at themodernmanager.com slash more. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Until next time.